Hey creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day Spooky Season. welcome to TGI Crime Day Spooky Season. Today's episode is part two of Dark History and Hauntings Amusement Park Edition. I will have part one linked in the episode description so you can check that out as well. And in part one, I talked about the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park in West Virginia and Kings Island in Ohio. Both were very interesting. Today we are going back to Ohio with some history and hauntings at Cedar Point. And then we are off to Six Flags in New Orleans for some dark history there as well. Please keep your hands and feet inside of the haunted school bus, and off we go. Cedar Point is located on a Lake Erie Peninsula in Sandusky, Ohio. Originally started in 1870, Cedar Point offered bathhouses, a few beachfront hotels, and dance halls. Over the last 153 years, Cedar Point has expanded to take up 364 acres and is known as one of the best parks for roller coaster lovers in the world. Boasting on-site hotels and 70 attractions, including 18 roller coasters, Cedar Point holds the record for the second most roller coasters. Just behind Six Flags Magic Mountain in California, they have 20 roller coasters, so they're close. This beloved amusement park is known as the second longest operating amusement park in North America. It has broken many records and held many titles over the last century and a half, including becoming the first theme park with five roller coasters with points over 200 feet tall, and it was given a Golden Ticket Award for the best amusement park in the world for 16 consecutive years from 1997 to 2013. A whopping 3.4 million people visit this park every year, and a few of the buildings on the property have been added to the National Register of Historic Places. The very first roller coaster built at Cedar Point was called the Switchback Railway. It was built in 1891 and had a 25-foot-tall hill and reached speeds of up to 10 miles per hour, which was a thrill at the time. They now have a roller coaster that sends you screaming at 120 miles per hour up to a 420-foot slope to give you an idea of how much things have advanced since the beginning. The oldest roller coaster still in use today is called the Blue Streak, and it was built in 1964. So she's still pretty young. Pretty young. She's still kicking. Of course, statistically speaking, an amusement park open for over 150 years, there are bound to be some issues along the way. There was a ride called Shoot the Rapids that opened in 2010. It was a log flume style water ride that pulls you up a big hill and then you basically go down a waterfall. Apparently there were multiple mechanical issues and the ride wasn't as popular as some of the other water rides and it closed in 2016. However, that was not before a freak accident happened. Luckily, no one died, but it was really bad and really scary. There were seven passengers in one of the log flume boats, and as they were going up the first hill, which was 85 feet tall with a 45 degree drop, somehow the boat tipped backwards and the passengers were trapped inside of it because they were wearing seatbelts. If I understand correctly, based on the water rides I've been on, there is a big conveyor belt that pulls the boat up the hill, and then the water obviously takes you down the other side. So, somehow, as they were going up the one side, The boat tipped over and capsized, and like I said, they all had seatbelts on and were stuck in the boat. People working the ride, security from the park, and other guests luckily jumped in to help these people. No one suffered any major injuries. One person went to the hospital, but they were all totally fine. Thank goodness. New fear unlocked for me, okay? 
you're sitting in one of those little boats and it just tips over. No, thank you. A few of the roller coasters also had some issues, mainly in the 80s and 90s, where one of the roller coaster trains collided with another, including rides called the Gemini and the Magnum XL200. In those crashes, no one was seriously injured, luckily. On July 26, 2014, a ride called the Skyhawk had a pretty major malfunction. The Skyhawk is one of those giant metal swings that has two arms that basically swing back and forth like a pendulum. At full height, the swing is 125 feet off the ground and can hit 65 miles per hour as you swing back down towards the earth. One of the support cables on the swing snapped and one of those thick, heavy cables went flying towards the people on the swing. It hit one person on the ride. Everyone was terrified that it was going to hit them and cause serious injuries. Luckily, the girl it hit was okay, and there was one person on the ground that was hit by a wooden fence that the cable slammed into and broke. But other than that, there weren't any serious injuries. The workers immediately cut power to the ride to try to stop it. But with the cable disconnected, it just kept swinging and swinging and swinging until gravity stopped it while the cable flipped around in the wind and <laughs> smacked into fences and humans and I, yikes, what do you do? There's, there's not a way to stop it. So awful. An official statement from the park said that the cable did not snap, that it just came loose, as if that makes it any better. Yikes of bikes. One ride that avoided a major accident, in my opinion, was called the Vertigo. This was a slingshot type ride, and it was only open for a couple of years. Imagine three tall towers in a triangle with a triangle-shaped ride carriage in the middle. The carriage was attached with steel cables to each of the towers, and that would launch 300 feet into the air at 50 miles per hour. I have never been on a slingshot ride. I refuse. I don't think I will ever do it, especially after hearing this. So one day in January of 2002, one of the 265-foot towers just collapsed. It was winter, so the park was closed for the season. No one was around. No one was injured. But at about 65 feet up on the tower, something in the structure broke and sent a 200-foot portion of the tower crashing to the ground. It was later determined that this happened because the ride vehicle had been removed and that helped to stabilize the towers and kept it from swaying more than its 8-foot sway allowance. That seems sketchy AF to me. That ride was removed a couple of months later. I can't imagine that anyone would ever go near that ride again knowing that one of the towers just collapsed out of nowhere. Like, what? What caused it to collapse? And what if it had been running? I just, I don't like it. For the most part, Kings Island has a pretty good record of keeping people safe. Any accidents that have happened have been very small in comparison, but there were two really major accidents that took place in the last few years at Cedar Point. On August 13th, 2015, a 45-year-old man named James Young lost his wallet and phone while he was riding a roller coaster called the Raptor. For whatever reason, James decided to hop a fence into a restricted area and was hit by a roller coaster car. I read in a couple of different places that James was either a high school guidance counselor or a special education teacher. Either way, he worked with kids and he really loved his job. Many people described him as the kind of person who went above and beyond in his work. He cared a lot about his students and he took a lot of pride in his work. His uncle, Jack Spencer, said, quote, He had a very kind heart and was very intelligent. This is very uncharacteristic, this accident. It's not something he would normally do, end quote. And if I read correctly, while there have been a lot of different issues and some injuries at the park, James was the first death to actually occur in the park 
in 150 years-ish since the park opened. It was just a really terrible accident and the park wasn't found liable in any way for the situation because he was in a restricted area. There was another tragic accident in 2021 that the park wasn't found liable for and I think they absolutely should be accountable for in some way. 44-year-old Rachel Hawes was waiting in line to ride the Top Thrill Dragster Coaster on August 15th, 2021. As she was standing in line with her husband and her father, an L-shaped metal bracket fell from the coaster and hit her in the head. This piece of metal wasn't very big. I think it was only maybe like five to seven inches in length, but falling from the height that it did, it reached a lot of speed by the time it hit her. Luckily, Rachel did survive, but she has been left with major injuries. She was in graduate school to become a teacher, which is something she is now unable to do because she suffered a major brain injury, including a skull fracture and a brain bleed. Her treatments and hospital stays have cost their family over $2 million, and that amount keeps growing. Her family is suing the park for damages, and they absolutely should, and the park absolutely should at least pay them the cost of the medical bills. But apparently, a state investigation concluded in 2022 found the park not liable, according to the Associated Press, because there was no evidence that Cedar Point acted illegally or had reason to believe the ride was unsafe. The report also said there was no evidence that the ride was unsafe before an object flew off and struck a woman in the head. Yeah, duh. (laughs) Like, obviously, there wouldn't be any reason to think that there was anything wrong with the ride until you saw something wrong with the ride. There are thousands of parts that build up a roller coaster. How on earth could you possibly check every single one to make sure they weren't loose? And that doesn't mean that the park should just be off the hook. I feel like it's pretty damn reasonable to assume you can go to an amusement park and expect not to have pieces of a roller coaster fall off and hit you. It's completely ridiculous to me that there isn't some kind of a consequence or even just because you're trying to be a good person, even if you legally, technically, there wasn't anything legally that you did wrong. Don't you think it would say a lot for this company that has so much money because millions of people visit there every year and now this woman's life is completely ruined and changed? She wasn't in an off-limits area. She wasn't acting in a way that was unsafe. She was literally just standing there having a good day with her family until one of their rides fell apart and caused Rachel and her family to go through this horrible situation that has affected their entire lives and continues to affect their lives. And on top of that, they're expected to cover millions of dollars of medical bills for something that was completely not her fault. No freaking way that they should just be like, off the hook and sorry, too bad. No, this park brags about having more than 3 million visitors every year. I promise you they can afford to help this family. Not only that, but for them to say that there was no signs and there was no other issues, this roller coaster actually had two other incidents involving pieces falling apart and injuring people. None as seriously as Rachel, but let's not act like it was a huge shock and that they had never experienced parts falling off before. It definitely did happen. First, in 2004, four people riding the Top Thrill Dragster were hit by falling pieces of metal debris that flew off of a launch cable. And then again in 2016, a different launch cable detached and injured two people. So there's been some signs that this ride has had issues and now someone was seriously hurt. So like pay up, in my opinion. From what I understand, this is kind of still ongoing. Rachel's family is still seeking damages and that is an ongoing case. Is there like a petition? Can we do something? Can we rally? I don't know. 
but if you know anything about that, let me know. The International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions said, quote, the chance of being seriously injured on a fixed site ride at a U.S. amusement park is one in 15.5 million rides taken, end quote. So again, I'd say it's pretty reasonable for the park to be held accountable for the one in 15 million accident that Rachel suffered. Okay, now let's talk about the alleged hauntings on the Cedar Point property. Some of them are fun and lighthearted. Others are really sad, but for a place that has been around for as long as Cedar Point has, there are bound to be some urban legends that take hold and spread over the years. As I mentioned before, there are a few hotels on the park property. Hotel Breakers was opened in 1905 when the park's general manager realized they could make more money the longer people stay at the park, and he was like, let's get that money, baby. So the park already had two hotels, but they were too small to meet the demands of the guests. So this manager set out to build a beautiful, fancy luxury resort right on the banks of Lake Erie. Very fancy for the times. Hotel Breakers opened in the summer of 1905 with 600 rooms, and they bragged about their running water, and 100 private baths, which from what I read is a really big deal at the time. Like I said, it was fancy. The lobby had super expensive chandeliers crafted by Tiffany's to impress the rich people, and the hotel's original amenities included an ice cream parlor, a manicurist, an on-site doctor, a tailor, and a stenographer. I still can't figure out why they needed a stenographer. What did they do day to day? But hey, good for them. This hotel has grown and changed and had some remodels over the years, but the Hotel Breakers is still in use today, and people have reported various hauntings. People who stay in room 169 have reported hearing a woman crying in the bathroom, experienced electrical issues in that bathroom, and the shower turning on and off on its own while they're laying in bed trying to go to sleep. I couldn't find any actual sources backing up the story that is told about room 169, but the story told about this room is that at some point, there was a woman who stayed in this room that took her own life in the bathroom and her spirit has allegedly stuck around, playing tricks on the guests who visit the hotel. There is also an allegedly haunted balcony that makes people really uneasy. Again, there's no actual evidence to back this up. They're just stories that have stuck around for a really long time. But the story goes that there was a couple staying at the hotel who made a suicide pact. They stood on the outer railing of the balcony. The man let go, but at the last second, the woman changed her mind and threw herself back into the hotel as he fell to the ground. Women who have stayed at this hotel have reported feeling like something or someone is physically pulling them towards this particular balcony. At Hotel Breakers, there is a ballroom that has hosted many fabulous parties over the years. Employees have heard music and laughter coming from inside of the ballroom, but when they open the doors, no one is there. There have also been reports of seeing ghostly apparitions dressed in 20s-style party outfits who walk towards the ballroom, but then they just disappear. It's giving The Shining, and I kind of love it. Hotel Breakers also has a TGI Fridays restaurant that people have seen misty apparitions floating through. Listen, the spirits have got to go get those half-priced appies and head over to the dance hall for their party, okay? <laughs> I respect it. And then the last fun and spooky story I want to tell you about Cedar Point has to do with one of their carousels. This is probably the most well-known haunting and one of the most historic places at the park. I love this carousel. Well, from what I've seen of pictures of it anyways. The Midway Carousel is the oldest ride still in use and was built in 1912 by a man named Daniel Mueller. Honestly, if there was some way for me to do an entire episode about Daniel Mueller, I would, but he is neither spooky nor a murderer, just a very interesting human, so since this isn't a history channel, I will keep it brief. Daniel Mueller 
was a world-renowned woodcarver, and he eventually specialized in carving carousel horses. He and his brother Alfred made several carousels together. They were insanely talented. If you're not watching on YouTube, do a little invest to Google about the Alfred brothers. They were very cool people. So for a theme park to have a Daniel Mueller carousel is a pretty big deal. There's your little fun fact. Next time you go to a theme park, be like, well, this carousel is nice, but it's not a Daniel Mueller. And then your friends will think you're really smart when you tell them about our boy Danny and his carousel horses. Or they'll think you're a nerd, in which case you need new friends. Anyways, the Midway Carousel at Cedar Point is the first thing that guests see at the park, and it was put on the National Register of Historical Places in 1982. It is a beautiful carousel, and Daniel Mueller put a ton of work and love into creating very realistic-looking horses. One in particular stands out. People have said that Daniel Mueller had a fascination with Civil War military horses, and he used their, um, I don't know what to call them besides uniforms, you know, their fancy saddles with the ribbons and stuff. So Daniel carved this stunning military horse for the carousel, and the legend goes that his wife loved this horse so much that she would frequently visit Cedar Point to go see her beloved wooden horse. And maybe she continued that tradition even after her death. People often saw a misty apparition of a woman on or near this carousel for years. Until, that is, the military-style horse was moved to a museum display in the park's frontier town to preserve it, and then they stopped seeing this apparition. I'm a little sad that they took away her favorite horse, but I hope that she still rides the carousel or at least stops by the park to check on her favorite carousel horse in the museum. All right, kids, back in the haunted school bus and let's go to Six Flags, New Orleans. Like I mentioned in part one, I think that some places are haunted by actual spirits and other places are haunted by history. And Six Flags, New Orleans is on many lists of quote unquote haunted amusement parks, but this is a place that is definitely haunted by tragedy and history. Six Flag New Orleans was originally named Jazzland when it opened in 2000. Jazzland went bankrupt pretty quickly and Six Flags took over the park in 2002 when they signed a 75-year lease contract with the city of New Orleans. Six Flags invested over $20 million to revamp and upgrade the park and then they reopened it in 2003. They kept some of the fun New Orleans-themed areas, including Mardi Gras and Cajun Country, and then they added a DC superhero area with rides like the inverted Batman roller coaster. By the time the park was hit by Hurricane Katrina in 2005, Six Flags had invested about $44 million into renovations and were still planning to add on and expand the park. On August 25, 2005, Hurricane Katrina wreaked havoc on Southeast Louisiana. Countless lives were forever changed when the hurricane touched down, and I know that there are still areas being rebuilt almost 20 years later. Hurricane Katrina was an absolutely devastating event and so heartbreaking I can't even imagine. Over 80% of New Orleans experienced flooding. Obviously, that included Six Flags. The park was hit with rain and seawater, and the drainage system at the park could not keep up with the amount of water being dumped. The park was submerged in six feet of water that took over a month to drain. So basically for an entire month, the park sat in four to seven feet of corrosive water that damaged most of the rides beyond repair. The Batman roller coaster was mostly okay because it was so tall and kind of built on a platform situation, but most of the rides were completely ruined from the wind and saltwater immersion. 
From 2006 until this year, 2023, the park remained abandoned, continuing to rot and fall apart. Some people broke in and vandalized the already damaged park, while others snuck in to explore the strange and intriguing waterlogged rides. There is something about an abandoned amusement park that is fascinating and terrifying at the same time. There are some roller coaster carts still covered in water. There are some in fields that were thrown from the hurricane winds. A lot of them are growing fuzzy moss, and smaller rides are covered in mud and overgrown weeds. It is the perfect spooky atmosphere. You can find all kinds of photos from the park that are beautiful and tragic and fascinating, and many people have snuck into the park to explore. But whatever got them there, of course, spooky stories and urban legends have been born. Six Flags New Orleans is the world's largest abandoned theme park. The most common haunted happenings include lights on the attractions flickering, or sounds like rides are starting up, which is impossible because there is no electricity going to the park anymore, and there hasn't been for years. Many explorers said that as you walk through the ghost town of a park, you have that feeling of being watched. There is a documentary called Closed for Storm that was made by Jake Williams. He has a YouTube channel where he explores all kinds of um, abandoned places. It's really fascinating. Uh, he was given permission to visit Six Flags New Orleans and was captivated by the story there. He was inspired to make a full documentary about the park. I watched some of it. It's on Amazon Prime and I highly recommend it. After visiting the park, Jake said, quote, Everywhere you go, you just imagine thousands of people at one time having fun, juxtaposed to the current reality of how this theme park looks, end quote. Six Flags officially closed the park for good in 2006, and over the last 17 years, there have been many different attempts at remodeling the area and getting a plan going to tear down the abandoned park and build something new. Six Flags New Orleans is one of the last big locations that holds on to Hurricane Katrina, and many people are ready to see this place turned back into a place of fun and excitement instead of a monument for the hurricane. Like I said, a lot of proposals have been made, but have been shut down, including the option of turning the area into a power plant. Boring. I'm glad they turned that one down. Or an outlet mall, which is also boring, but not as bad as a power plant, okay? A couple of companies tried to turn it back into a working amusement park, but found the damage was too great and not worth pursuing. For many years, it was used as a filming location. The park is featured in Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters, great movie, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and Jurassic World, among a handful of other movies, which I think is a really cool use of this area. The most recent article I saw about the plans for the park was from August of 2023, where official plans have been set for a new development called Bayou Phoenix. The plan is for an indoor and outdoor water park, hotel, family entertainment center, a film studio, and stores and restaurants. I think kind of like a smaller version of Universal Studios, it sounds like. We will see if that actually happens. Like I said, there have been so many plans um, that have gone back and forth and have been shut down. Who knows how much longer this area is going to stay the way that it is. Um, but if they complete the project, I wonder if there will be any kind of spooky vibes left behind. If you have visited either of the parks that I mentioned in today's episode, or if you have ever gone to a haunted or abandoned amusement park, please tell me everything. You can send me an email to tgicrimeday at gmail.com. I would love to hear your stories and share them in a future episode. So please send them over. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts. Until next time, stay safe, stay spooky, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.